Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the show. My name is Don and thanks for being here. This is the Today's Just Okay podcast and this is the first show of 2024. So good morning or evening or afternoon, whenever it happens to be that you're listening to this. Hope your day's going well. I'm just drinking a nice little coffee here. Usually I have hazelnut syrup in it, but today I'm just doing milk and coffee because I find that lately it's too sweet and I'm just trying to lay off the sugar a little bit. Anyway, Happy New Year's. I think 2023 can go F right off. Um, I don't know about you, but it was a bit of a rough year for me. Uh, my wife was sick from January and through the summertime. I mean, she was sick before that too, but it got bad. It got really, really bad. Talked about it before, but she almost died. She was in the hospital for two weeks in April. Her recovery basically has been from May to August primarily, and then ever since. She's back to work in September, and that was really, really difficult, but I'm super proud of her for for being able to take care of that. Just the amount that she has been able to spring back to life after being told she was, they don't really give you odds anymore, but they just say, okay, you know, you got to be prepared. And yeah, so the fact that she's come back so far is to me never, never not going to be amazing. And then on top of that, my old job tried to pull me out of a contract while all of that was happening um, over the summertime. I prevented that, but um, all I had to do was fight tooth and nail to show them why it wasn't good for me or the organization. And I was able to resolve that issue, but you know it was still a horrible experience to have to go through. Now, the second half of the year has been much improved. I mean, or the last quarter, I guess, so September to December. Wife is doing a lot better. She's got a great team of doctors and I'm in a specialized clinic now for my own things. So we're getting the, we're getting the treatment that we need, which is, which is nice and unfortunately rarer than it should be these days. Uh, to everyone who's bought my book, thank you. I've sold about 49 of them so far. And I know that sounds like a very small, pathetic number, but to me, that's a huge deal. I'm super thankful. I'm very happy. You have no idea. I mean, when you publish something on your own, you don't have all that traditional infrastructure to plug into. You don't have access to people. You don't have access to events. You don't have access to reviewers. And, you know, everybody wants to get paid, right? And it's not that it's a bad thing or a good thing or anything like that. It's just the reality of the business, right? And so if you if you don't have the money to put into a significant sort of book launch or buzz building exercise, it, it can be difficult to, to get the word out that there's a, a new story that's worth your time. But again, some people have, um, have given me a shot and they've liked it. I haven't heard any bad things about my book yet from anybody, so that's good. For the new year, I've reduced the price of Lancet on Amazon. It's hard times all around, so I think entertainment should be a little bit cheaper. That's not much, but it's what I can do. I mean, publishing for me isn't about the money primarily. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love money. Uh, it's always nice to have, but it's more important to tell a story that you don't get to see very often that sort of touches on themes and ideas that are unique and different. So if you're interested in science fiction at all, tangentially or whatever, this isn't a book for sort of hard sci-fi fans at all. It, it's more social. It's about people being people. So and doing sort of extraordinary things and in horrible situations. So if you like adventure and you like self-discovery, 
give it a shot. You might be surprised at just, just what kind of a ride you're going to, you're going to go on <laughs> anyway. Also, uh, for those of you who listen to the podcast, thank you. Uh, looking forward to growing and helping more people find that relatively positive and realistic outlook uh, on an ongoing basis. I've got lots of interesting shows coming up. You know, I'm going to be talking about conspiracy theories and menfluencers and managing pain and anguish. And, you know, eventually I'm going to get into why science fiction is important to everyday life and what it can teach us about ourselves and how it can point to the future of technology, that type of thing. It's really, really fascinating subject, really. I got to credit my wife, Steph, for, uh, for this one. A big shout out for inventing a new tradition in our house. Uh, new Year's revolutions. <laughs> I get such a kick out of it. It's the same thing as a resolution. It just sounds cooler. I mean, historically, we kind of suck at revolutions, right? You know, like, oh God, what was his name? I had it, the, the bushy, hairy guy who was talking about communism for the longest time, you know, for the proletariat and... And we ended up with Stalin or Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité, and then we get Napoleon. Or even the American Revolution, right? Where you just replace one bunch of wealthy patrons for another. It always seems like who runs things doesn't change. It's just who they answer to. Whether it's someone over there or if it's just themselves and their friends. You know, it's kind of an interesting interesting problem we've always, we've always had. Anyway... For Steph's revolution, she's going to wear more lipstick. I think she's plenty pretty already. I don't think she needs any any help with that, but I get it. I mean, dressing up can be fun sometimes, and you know, or <laughs> or a requirement for a continued relationship. I mean, I've been dressing like a bum for three years, and I kind of got to improve on that. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, I might end up in the doghouse. <laughs> anyway, as for me, I'm going to learn how to cook a special kind of chicken. Yep because I want to start small and go from there. And the food is one of those things. It's just, it's an important part of, of everyday life. We need it. Anyway, 2024 better be a good year. That's how I feel. And then I always come back to the thing like, or what, <laughs> right? You know, it better be good or, or else, or else what? And I honestly thought about it and I don't have a response to that. I've got nothing, literally nothing. Maybe you have something. If you have any suggestions, you might want to email them to me at today's just okay at gmail.com and maybe I can uh, implement some of those. <laughs> anyway, moving on to sort of an interesting thing I learned or looked at this week. I found a Guardian article that kind of appalled me a little bit. It was called I Feel Like a Criminal for Quitting. Nurses in the U.S. Fight Stay or Pay Agreements. It was written by uh, Michael Sainato. Sinato. And the background essentially is, is that there's this company or this group of companies called Communicare Family of Companies. And they're privately held and they're private equity medical providers. And the reason I say that they're private equity is because they're all interlinked with uh, this company called Longevity Venture Partners. And that's a lender to healthcare sector businesses, right? So, you know, anytime you have that outside finance component, that's that's a flag. In addition to that, they're sort of run by the same person, like Stephen L. Rosedale. He's the he's the main the main character in all of this. He's the head honcho kind of thing. Anyway, these companies or Communicare specifically brought nurses into the United States uh, from other countries, and 
They signed them to contracts when they did that that contained training repayment agreement provisions, or I think the acronym is TRAPS, right? And that's not a good acronym, and you're about to find out why. And basically, the crux of the matter is, is that these nurses, if they quit, they have to pay back the company, or sorry, if the, uh, if the nurses quit before a period of time expired, they'd have to pay back the company. And I mean, I understand that if an employer pays for training, and the person leaves or quits before they recoup those costs, they might want to try and recover that money. Okay, fair enough. Like, I get that, especially if the training is extremely expensive. The Army does the same thing. So, like, if you sign up to, to the Army and you get a free college degree out of it, you, you're going to owe them a certain number of years of service. I don't know how many years it is, but I think the last time I checked in Canada, it was like 10. But in the United States, I'm not entirely sure how much it is. But anyway... You know, there's there's sort of a bit of a give and take there, right? Fine. But that's not what this company did. Communicare charged the nurses who quit buyout fees, over $15,000 in some cases, and then they sued them for fifty dollars to $100,000 each. Now, the nurses in question say they quit because of the working conditions. Their claim is, is that the facilities were chronically short-staffed and the working conditions were poor to impossible to work in. They had too many patients, they couldn't provide a standard of care, and they were afraid of losing their licenses for the failures that they were required to kind of deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I mean, burnout and mental health have a drastic effect on the healthcare industry. It doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're a nurse or a doctor or any kind of healthcare practitioner. Those are real problems. And so these nurses, they found work with competitors because their visas aren't tied to a specific employer, and they left. And Communicare basically says that they spent over $15 million to get the nurses into the country, and that these nurses are manipulating the system to get away from costing them this investment money. I mean, let that sink in for a second. $15 million to bring in nurses from outside the country. I don't, I don't know how many nurses there are, But why did they not just spend that money on nurses that were already in the United States? You know, that's question number one. Like, isn't that what the free market is all about? Competition, you offer better pay, better conditions, and you get better staff, more staff, and you get better retention. I don't even have anything against the nurses who came in. People everywhere need jobs. And if someone offers you an opportunity somewhere else, grass is greener on the other side, you know, go to it. But the company made a decision to bring in cheaper labor and then try to bind them into service. I think that's that's the big thing here. That's what I'm not liking about this. So no company invests money without a plan. And so maybe this was about how much more money they thought they could make, right? They projected that they could make or earn off these nurses if they didn't leave the company, especially if they build in repayment fees or buyout clauses or whatever as a way to prevent losses, I mean, this is speculation, obviously, but let's look at the situation logically. If I sign a contract that basically indebts me to a company for a certain length of time, what does that make me, right? That's pretty close to what an indentured servant is. The only difference is that I'm still paid. But in reality, not really, since the penalties for breaking the contract will eat up all of what I make and then some. You know, sharecropping, indentures, it all works on the same principles, I give you this opportunity, right? In quotation marks, I give you this thing and you owe me money and labor for it. 
And like, this is deep Wall Street shit. This is the worst kind of financial management because it treats people like chattels, like pawns, like they're disposable, like they're assets to be manipulated. Why? So that you can make your bonus at the end of the year. You can keep your investors happy and buy that extra house or private jet or pay off your bookie or take that five-star vacation or put it up your nose, right? Like whatever the hell it is you want without ever acknowledging that without the people on the ground, without the workers who do all the work, that cushy job does not exist. You know, and there's this mentality of just extracting as much value as possible from an asset for a period of time, whether it's a short period of time or a long period of time, doesn't matter as long as the money is coming. It almost feels like business ethics have devolved essentially to, well, it's legal as long as you don't get caught. Or if it's not specifically illegal, go to town. There's been a growth of a mindset that I matter more or I'm more important or I don't care as long as I get mine. You, know, you tell people to be thankful that I've provided you with this opportunity, but if you try to make a better life for yourself, I'm going to take everything you have and then some. It's kind of sick. And you see it in every walk of life these days, in work and housing and food prices, everything goes up and the only people making money are investors, right? The people who already have all the money. Again, I don't have anything against the nurses here at all. I think there's a need to bring people from around the world into, you know, other countries when we need skills and we need people. But I also think there has to be some sort of a balance, right? Like I can only speak from my own experience in, in Canada and we have a bunch of problems right now. And there's lots of news about this all over the place, but basically there's about a million more people in the country every year than what's generally reported. And, and a vast number of those are on student visas or temporary foreign workers. And then in addition to that, we also have population growth of about 500,000 people because our immigration targets are pretty high. So that's one and a half million people in the country every year more than what's on the books. And politicians have been shaking their heads like, geez, I don't know why there's a housing crisis right now. do 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 you know, like as if it's not plain on the wall. And like I said, I'm pro-immigration, but I'm also pro having a place to live and an affordable place to live too. And if we're hosting that many people, we need the infrastructure to manage it. That means apartments, condos, houses, not just for people already in the country, but also our guests. I mean, I look at it from the perspective of we have to offer people coming to our home value for their effort. If people are going to work hard to come and immigrate into, you know, my country, I want them to get something out of it. I don't want to just take all their money and then, you know, leave them penniless and force them to have to, you know, go back to their originating country or see them suffer financially because we're just taking everything from them. It just doesn't make any sense. Anyway, if no one's building housing in sufficient numbers to balance it out, then yeah, we got a problem, right? Like 30% of homes are owned by investors in Canada and it's not hard to see why no one's building. Investors don't put their money in non-growth industries. And if they can own all the homes and all the builders that make them, why would they encourage more than the minimum amount of building? It just devalues their investments. That was that was a bit of a tangent. Yeah, housing, <laughs> housing's a topic for another day. Uh, but I mean, there's common sense solutions that can be implemented to deal with these problems, right? It's not rocket science. And if you go back to Communicare, if we think about the common sense approach to this kind of a mess, like what, what is it? You know, I look at the reality of the situation. So I did some research, right? And luckily there are some good things on the horizon. 
regarding the nurses themselves, they've countersued and filed unfair labor practice charges, right? So they have good legal help, and we'll see how that develops. Likewise, these trap contracts are being reviewed in the United States. The the National Labor Relations Board considers them a kind of non-compete agreement that, that might be violating the National Labor Relations Act. There are groups pressuring Biden to ban stay or pay contracts, and the FTC is proposing a ban on non-competes, right? So there's reason to be cautiously optimistic that there will be some relief at some point. But at the same time, it's also politics. So you never know exactly how that's going to shake out. In terms of Canada, you know, we have a fairly restrictive policy on them. Trap contracts are only permitted in extremely limited circumstances and only deal with actual losses. So itemized training costs, you can't charge fees that aren't backed up with actual inventoried costs associated with whatever. If you if you just say, oh, there's a $20,000, you know, investment, it's like, well, show me the investment. If you can't pull up the 20 grand that you want back as, as money that was actually spent, well, guess what? You're, you're not going to get that. So, I mean, that's kind of an interesting limitation. And I think that might help as to why we don't have them that often here. But Canada has, you know, our own problems with outsourcing and using cheap labor to keep wages low in certain industries. And this absolutely has a negative effect on lower income people and a positive one on wealthy people. Wealthy people get to keep more money because they're able to hire people at a lower rate of pay than they otherwise would be. And there's so many different loopholes that companies can use to tell the government, look, we can't find a Canadian willing to do this job, so we need to bring in other people. And they're not always on the up and up, right? There's always something going on. Someone's trying to make money somehow. But I think the point I'm trying to make here through all of this is that a lot of these problems have a common source, right? Some jackass came up with an idea to get rich, decided to go too far, and ended up screwing over the little guy to do it. And I think that's a story as old as time, right? I don't know who said it, and I've heard this many times, but when something helps the poor, it's called socialism. But when it helps the rich, it's good for the economy. So the counterbalance, I think, is that for the rest of us to make a fuss. We have to be vigilant for people who come up with practices and policies that favor this kind of thing. They favor the rich or the big corporations who already have massive wealth and power, and they don't do anything for the rest of us. Because here's the thing, right? The haves already have enough. They don't need more. The ultra-wealthy don't need more. They already own more than 50% of the world. And this isn't a liberal or conservative thing. This is just a humanity thing. This is a basic human dignity and respect thing. That much wealth and power should not be concentrated in that few people ever. I'm not saying that no one should be able to get rich. I think absolutely. You know, you work hard, you earn good money, you should be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor within reason. You know, hundreds of billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, who needs that on an individual level? It just to me, it's beyond what any regular person could ever spend in a lifetime. And unfortunately, I think one of the worst things that modern technology has done is really remove people from the decisions they make. You know, people no longer have to see the consequences of what they're doing. So like if you're talking about a finance guy who lives 
in a bubble thousands of miles away, they can make decisions about, you know, cutting a workforce down by 30% or 50% or laying everybody off in a plant and carving up the assets and selling it and never have to think or feel guilty about it at all. It was different when you lived around the people who worked for you, when you were part of the same community. And I mean, that still exists and the companies are generally better for it when it does exist. But it's sort of a dying mindset, I think, that we could really use more of. And the worst thing, the worst thing about all of this is that the opposite is the truth. We found out during the post-war era that the more of a middle class you have, the broader that spectrum is around the middle, where everyone isn't rich, but they're doing okay. And the smaller the wealthy pool is, and the smaller the destitute pool is, the better everything does. The economy does better. Productivity does better. People are happier. Population does better. People have kids because the pressures aren't the same. And I think that's kind of what's missing in modern life. Like 50 years ago, you could raise a family on a one income and now, now you need two incomes, two and a half, three, four, you know, when is, when is it going to be too much? When do we get to the point where enough is enough and we have to take a step back and rebalance things a little bit? Yeah, anyway, so that's that's what this article got me thinking about. And then I kind of, I went off a little bit on it. And what do you think? Let me know. How do you, how do you view situations like this? Do you think that companies are abusing their capacity to bring in foreign labor? Do you think that outsourcing is, you know, a problem? Or are you on the other side of it where you think, yeah, this is all, this all works to our benefit and here's why. Let me know. Today's just okay at gmail.com. Anyway. I think this is probably why I don't read the news much because I just spent something like 20, 25 minutes talking about this thing and I haven't even gotten to the topic of the day yet. So maybe I should do that now, huh? What do you say? So because it's a new year, I had to do some thinking and did some reading and I was wondering like what would be the best topic for the first show of 2024? And I don't know if it is or not, but what I came up with is how do you deal with people who tell you you can't do it, right? You have a dream, something you want to try, something you want to do, profession, hobby, side hustle maybe, write a book, record a song, start a podcast, go into crafting, sell t-shirts, paint, become a stand-up comedian, pilot, doctor, lawyer. It's, It's not limited to creative things, whether you want to get a new job or go into a new field or go to school or whatever, right? You know, maybe you want to turn over a new leaf and move somewhere else or go on a new adventure. One of the unfortunate unfairnesses in the world is that most of us don't get to try and try again as many times as we want until something sticks. If you're wealthy or you have sufficient support, maybe you have that capacity. You can fail and you can fail again and it's not necessarily going to hurt you. But if you don't have those things, you have to be more strategic about it. And so when we have those experience, there's going to be a lot of people who will tell you, it's like, oh, you know, I was thinking about doing this or that. And they'll tell you, you can't do it or you shouldn't do it. Or, you know, why would you want to do that or something like that? It comes in different flavors, but ultimately it always means the same thing. And so you kind of have to identify what the, the rationale is behind the person who is, who is telling you these things. Sometimes people have reasonable concerns and sometimes people are trying to keep you away from disappointment. I mean, if you want to become a millionaire by being a day trader on meme stocks, or you want to open a coffee shop around five other coffee shops, maybe that's not the best idea. And you should listen to the people who are saying, you know what, this is probably not a good idea. 
Um, and then versus someone saying, you know, don't do it, you'll never make it happen. When you are coming up with a new idea for an app or a t-shirt design or something that you want to do professionally or, or whatever, right? Like we have to think about these things, not just in terms of what we want, but also in terms of what's realistically possible. And I mean, of course, you're going to have jerks who don't want you to do things because they either don't want the competition or because they prefer the status quo, right? So keeping you where you are is good for them because as long as you are where you are, their life is either easier or they don't have to worry about someone competing for business or clients or anything like that, right? So there's always more than one reason why someone would tell you, don't do that. Don't be stupid. What are you doing? And we have to think about it in those terms. Like, okay, sometimes people are actually trying to help us and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're giving us good advice and sometimes they're giving us bad advice. We can't just take everything people tell us as gospel because some of it's going to be good and some of it's going to be bad and we need to be able to filter those things out. Now, there's no surefire way to do that. It's just something you have to kind of develop over time. So being aware, I think, is a great start. And then bouncing ideas off of people you trust is a good way to gauge reactions. And then you just go from there, right? Always consider the source. No matter what's being said to you, no matter what you're reading or what you're thinking about, consider where it's coming from and who's saying it and what their motivations are. Most of the time when you're dealing with people that you know, and you care about and who care about you, the motivations are good. They're pure, they're decent, they want you to do well, and they're trying to make sure that you have the best information possible going into something. But if not, then the issue becomes, well, what do they get out of it? And it's kind of a sucky way to look at things, but at the same time, it is valuable to critically examine any kind of information or advice you're, you're taking in. Because again, you can't, you can't take everything everyone says and do it. You can't be a yes person all the time. You have to be strategic and pick your battles and pick your, you know, pick your path. But anyway, no matter what people say, don't let them dissuade you for, from things that you truly believe you should be or need to or want to do, right? Like look at the long-term value of the experience, you know, believing in ourselves is a hugely powerful tool just for life in general. Even if it doesn't always work out, the fact that we believe that we are capable and we're doing our best to make it, those experiences shape us. And the younger you are when you start that process, the better it is for you. Because honestly, like from my own experience, I wish I'd had the strength and the conviction to jump into the things that I wanted to do young, as opposed to waiting until I'm older and more financially secure. Because now I just feel like I'm catching up and I've lost a lot of time on, you know, the writing part and the media part, doing the podcast and stuff like this. Like I've wanted to do this for a long time, but it was always, well, something else is more important. I got to do that first. I got to, I got to get more established and all the rest of it. Right. When I realized that, for example, this podcast, I mean, what does it cost? A couple hundred bucks because all I need is a microphone basically. And the rest of the rest of the stuff that I use or could use is basically free. So why didn't I do it earlier, right? Well, I didn't believe that it was a good idea for me or I didn't believe in myself that I could produce something that people would want to listen to. 
Just try to imagine what you'll learn and what you'll regret if you don't go through with things. Can you really spend the rest of your life wondering, what if? What if I'd done this? What if What if I'd just taken the chance and gone on that trip or started that business or took that class or wrote that story or submitted that thing or whatever it is, you know, publish that video. All those things add up over time. And if you're always saying no to yourself and you always wonder what if, when you look back on it later, it's just going to seem like a long string of disappointments. And I mean, I've, I've dealt with that and it's hard to undo that pattern, to get up the courage to basically say, you know what, I'm going to push myself and get myself out of my comfort zone and I'm going to I'm going to grab a hold of things while I have a chance. Once I started doing that, I started feeling more alive again. And I think for me anyway, I spent so long trying to build my life into sort of a semi-financially secure existence that I put off a lot of the things that I wanted to do and ultimately just got into a rut. And now that I'm not doing that anymore and I'm more focused on what I want to do in addition to all of that, I just, I feel so much better. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean you need to go into whatever it is you're doing unprepared or just fly off and dive all in, right? It's good to plan and it's good to budget and set time in terms of what your expectation is, right? Not many of us can afford to just throw massive amounts of cash into a project and see what happens. Most of us have to be very aware of money going out the door versus money coming in the door. And we don't necessarily have all the time in the world to dedicate to a project because, you know, that pool can dry out pretty fast. So it's important to set your goals, set your timeline, figure out your budget and, and how long you can last or if you can't afford to do something full-time, for example, then okay, well, maybe part-time or every now and again, you set aside a night a week or, you know, a couple couple days a month or whatever it is to work on this other thing so that you can still meet all of your requirements, your um, all of your responsibilities. I know that some people, they get up there and they're like, oh, if you don't go all in, you're just going to fail. And it's like, no. Very few people succeed at everything they do and there's a lot of luck involved and there's a lot of opportunity involved and there's a lot of connections and so forth. There's so many uncontrollable variables involved in making it that what works for one person will never work for anybody else. Everybody's going to have their own unique way of making it somewhere. I mean, I'm sure that it makes a good story to say, well, you know, I knew I didn't have another opportunity. I didn't have another chance. I mean, like The Rock is big on this. He talks all about how he, you know, he had $7 in his bank account and he was at the end of his rope and blah, 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 blah. And what he forgets to mention is that his father paved the way for him into his industry. He had the contacts. He had the background in football from the university that he was able to go to. He had options. So when people present their story, most of the time they're playing with it a little bit because it suits their brand and it's not necessarily the reality of what happened. Anyway, getting a little bit off topic here, but long story short, hedging isn't a bad thing, especially if you can't afford to fail. <laughs> I mean, that sounds terrible, but it's true. Like if you can't afford to go all in and fail, then dip your toe in instead. Don't just dive in head first. You never know what's going to happen. Now, dipping your toe in, you might get a little way, a little bit further along, and then maybe you dip your foot in, your knee, your leg, your, you know, your body, and so forth, and eventually you just kind of slide in and swim away. But if you go all in and you just dive in head first, well, you don't know if that pool is only 
six inches deep can you just smash your head on the ground? So there's a lot of things to take into account there. The other thing I think was important about that process is by going slowly or or having that plan and being focused on it, you can adapt along the way. Like just because you come up with one success metric or one way of doing things, you're going to learn as you go. No matter what it is you're doing, your initial impression of how an industry works, how a creative avenue works, whatever it is, it's going to change as you go and you need to adapt to those things that you learn. We expect things to be one way and then when we get involved with something, we find out they're completely different. If you don't adapt to that reality, what happens? You don't progress. So it's incredibly important to learn as much as possible along that journey as you're working towards whatever goal it is that you have to take in as much information and knowledge and skill as you can so that every time you run into a wall or you hit a bump in the road or whatever, you have the capacity to alter course. Now, I also know that, and I mean, I'm prone to this as well. I am kind of an overthinker, right? Like see to your pants, you're just kind of flying full out, full tilt, going for it. And you might end up in worse situations every now and again, but at least you're doing something. The problem with overthinking is it can be paralyzing. You might say, okay, I'm going to try this, but I'm going to hedge. And then you start thinking about how you're going to hedge. Okay, I'm not going to go in all the way. I'm just going to start doing this one thing, one thing, one thing, but I'm going to do small, small, small. And then the steps get smaller and smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden you're starting, oh, well, is it even a good idea? Just to give you an example, when I started this podcast, I spent days looking up the equipment that I would need. What kind of a microphone did I want to use? And the worst part is, is that I didn't even, I didn't even pick the right one. (laughs) So I had to change it. But the point is, I wasted time. I wasted days doing research on what tool I could use and then how to prepare and present and then how to edit audio and so forth and so on. And yes, some of that effort was absolutely necessary, but it didn't need to go to that length. I didn't need to go that deeply into it. I would have been better served, honestly, if I just say, okay, I've got this basic microphone that I can use. I'm going to start with that because my experience has been nothing's ever perfect. And if you expect things to be perfect, that's just going to lead to disappointing. So aim for the level of quality you're comfortable with. Like even this podcast, for example, I'm like, okay, I want it to be the best possible podcast that it can be. And I want to talk about things that are interesting to people. And I want to help in some way, either entertain or inform or whatever. But I know that my podcast is never going to be perfect. So I have to figure out what level I'm comfortable with releasing. And what I've come up with essentially is kind of like the 85, 90%. So if my podcast is 85 to 90% of what it is I want, I'll take the 10% and I'll just be like, you know what? I'll work on that for the future, but I got to get this out there. And I think that holds true for for almost anything, not everything. You want to be 100% on if you're skydiving. You don't want to go with the 90%. Well, I've got 90% of a parachute. No, don't do that. (laughs) Go the whole way with some things. But for most stuff that isn't life or death, right? Most of our endeavors aren't. I'm, I'm very risk averse. I don't like getting into situations where I could die. I've had too many of those experiences already. But yeah, like overthinking can prevent you from taking that step. So 
remembering that fear can be poison and that any endeavor, whether it's creative or professional or educational, means putting effort in, even if it's not perfect, putting something out in front of people or getting something out in front of people and seeing what they think of it. You have to be able to accept it's not always going to go well and sometimes you're, going to, you're just going to land flat on your face by accident. But you know what? You own it, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, you learn from the, um, the experience and you keep going, right? Failing is okay. And there's no necessary guarantee that you will fail. You got to try. And if you fail and the failure is small, usually you can kind of dust yourself off and keep going. You can course correct. If the failure is big, you may have to go back to the drawing board. But the main thing about that is making sure that you're not hurting someone else during the process. Because for me, that's, that's one of the things that's important is what I do should never harm another person. Like the earlier example is meme stocks, right? So you take your parents' investment money, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they've saved for their retirement and you invested in something like GameStop. Just the fact that the amount of money that's been poured into that company versus the value of the stock against that money, right? So it doesn't matter how much money people pump into that company, the stock keeps going down. Whether or not it's being manipulated doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, is that it's not a good investment because the amount of money that it's worth just keeps going down. So if you dump $300,000 of your parents' money into something like that, and then within a year that money's gone or it's worth $10,000 and their, their future is now at risk, you've just hurt somebody else. So Bear that in mind when you're doing this type of thing. You have to weigh what the negative impact on other people is going to be. And I urge caution because, again, there is no guarantee that you're going to fail, but there's also no guarantee that you're going to succeed. And only spend the money that you can afford to lose. Anyway, in all of this, setting expectations is probably one of the key components here. Where do you need to be after a period of time? So within six months, within a year, whatever it is you can afford. When is it to assess whether it's time to cut your losses and walk away? And the good thing about sort of not going all in is it doesn't necessarily have to be that because if you're not putting all your eggs in one basket, if you're not just kind of throwing everything you have into one endeavor, you have other things to fall back on. Anything that gives us options, I think is a good thing. So again, as with anything I ever say, take the good, leave the bad, Use what works for you and disregard the rest. <laughs> anyway, what do you think? Um, it's kind of an interesting topic and I'm sure there's more to be said about it. So I may revisit this in the future. But the main thing is, is that I really hope we all have those opportunities to explore the things that we love and to do the things that we want, because there's nothing worse than just being stuck and not being able to get out of a situation. All right, moving on, moving on. Tip of the day. I'd say if you've got the option, get yourself a standing desk. Not only does it allow you to sit and stand while you're working, and I mean, it's definitely not a silver bullet for back pain like some people will claim it is or the reviews will say, but it definitely helps with movement and circulation. And it's nice to have variety in your workspace. So you can get a nice lean on in the morning while you're enjoying your beverage of choice. And... In the afternoon, you can sit and kind of recline in your, your desk chair and just work away. But honestly, it's it's been a huge help for me. 
And I mean, if you really want to get creative, you could always buy one of these BOSU ball things. So I have this, this, I don't know, it's, it's like, what is it? It's a hemisphere. It's a rubber ball hemisphere, kind of like those pogo balls without the bottom on it. I don't know if anybody remembers those things. My God, I'm dating myself in terms of how old I am. But yeah, like the reason they exist is that they're good for balance. They're good for stabilizing muscles, tissues that we don't use a lot. I got it because I have a weak ankle. I fell probably 15, 16 years ago, just nosedived off a curb and almost died. BMW came within like six inches of rolling over my head. So kudos to the guy for stopping. Um, funny enough though, he didn't get out and check on me. <laughs> he just, I got up and hobbled to the sidewalk. He just kind of drove off. And it's funny because it's like, I can't really be mad at the guy because he didn't kill me. He did stop. But at the same time, he's just like, all right, well, that guy's, that guy's out of the way. So off I go. The point of this thing is that it helps with pain. So that my ankle has kind of been messed up for, for ages ever since then. Like it was a gnarly sprain turned purple. I couldn't walk for three days, but over time it sort of calmed down, but it's never been right ever since. And I find that these days when I stand for long periods of time, that leg starts to ache like you wouldn't believe. So I stand on this ball thing and I just kind of work my day. And believe it or not, it actually helps keep my muscles engaged, but also different muscles. And, and it just eases the burden, I think, because I can angle my feet at different angles, like forward, back, sideways, or just regular. And honestly, that helps. So I may look ridiculous, but honestly, I, I don't really care. I I don't do much these days based on how people think or how other people think. I do things for myself. And I mean, if someone's going to judge me, well, go kick rocks. I, I'm not hurting anybody. So mind your own business. <laughs> oh, so much, so much things. I got a question this week as well. So thank you for everybody who's writing in. Um, this is Tim from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Wow, Jesus. That's awesome. The power of the internet, right? Reach people all over the place. I've never been to New Mexico, but I've always wanted to go. I hear it's beautiful down there. It can be hot, but also pretty amazing. Anyway, the question is, so title of the email is, what should I do? Uh, hi, Don. Love the podcast. Thank you. Um, your audio <laughs> your audio isn't the best, <laughs> but it seems to be getting better. So good job. Yeah, so I got a new microphone this week. Um, that's part of the reason why this, this episode's a little bit delayed. So hopefully this going forward, it'll sound a lot better. I was using a carotid microphone, those capsule microphones that everybody has. The problem is, is that they're really only good for studios that have been treated for sound or really quiet places. And I, I don't live in a place like that. So I had to trade it in for a dynamic microphone, which I didn't even realize was a different thing. I've traded it in and this one has a much better sound profile, picks up a lot less garbage noise. And I think, um, I think I will not sound anywhere near as underwater as I was, uh, earlier on. So I am working on it, but, uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I am aware that my, my audio has been kind of garbage anyway. Um, so going back to the question, what does it say here? So my family lives, oh, that sucks. My family lives paycheck to paycheck and I don't have much money. We're not poor, but everything my mom and dad make goes into bills and stuff. So sometimes my brother and me have to suck it up, okay? Like when I was younger, I couldn't go on any fun school trips because they were too expensive. I work now, but I need to save what I can for school. Okay, well, I mean, it sounds like you've got your head on, right? Like you're doing the right thing. Savings for school, that's perfect because that's your future right there. So some of my friends have gone on crazy trips like Disneyland or Europe and Jamaica and places like that. 
I feel like they're rubbing it in my face sometimes when we get together and they talk about where they've gone or are going to go in the future. I get mad that I can't do like they do and I don't know what to say or if I should say anything. What do you think? Do I, do I call them out? When I tried to lie one time, they knew it and laughed at me. I don't like how it made me feel, but I've been friends with them most of my life. If you can offer any advice, I'd appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Oh man, that's rough. It sounds, it sounds to me like you're pretty young, Tim. So I think, like I said, I think you're doing the right things already. You're betting on your future potential versus now. And I mean, you could definitely blow your money and go on a trip or something, and then you'd have something to talk about with your friends, but then what, right? You come back and reality hits, you got to pay the bills. So I think what you're, what you're doing is the right thing. And if I'm honest, I think your friends sound kind of douchey. I mean, they're, if they're young too, they may not realize just how douchey they're being, but laughing at you isn't okay. I don't think that's right. Like, especially if they know what your situation is and it sounds to me like they might, it's not okay for them to just treat it like it's, it's no big deal and just give you shit for it. Because again, like, you know, friends will prod at you. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but if they're actively trying to hurt your feelings, that's, that's kind of the wrong way. That's the wrong way to be, right? If it was me, I'd, I'd talk to them maybe individually, see how understanding they are, um, and also see what their behavior is like afterwards. So this is something I learned years later. This isn't something I learned when I was young, but you know, people will say almost anything to placate you or to make you feel like you're okay. But what they do is most important. If they, if they talk to you about how, oh yeah, you're a great friend and blah, 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 blah. And, oh, I'm sorry. And da, 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 da. And then you know, a couple of days later, they're out with the same people and they're excluding you the same way or, or whatever, you know, that speaks louder than what they told you. So you have to watch what people do as well as what they say is what I'm, is what I'm saying. Anyway, you're going to, I think you're probably going to need to make a choice at some point about how much effort you want to put into people who aren't good for you, right? Because the length of time that you know somebody doesn't really matter. I mean, that doesn't necessarily equal quality of relationship. You may have a good history together and depending on how you were when you were younger, how they were when you were younger, the, the connection may have been better, but time changes people and circumstances change people. Now, I mean, I'm sure they're figuring themselves out too. Just because people get to go on these trips, I mean, don't get me wrong, travel is amazing and I've been lucky enough to have that opportunity and I recommend it to anyone who can who can do it but it's not necessary right like there's there's a lot of people who go traveling and they learn absolutely nothing from the experience they gain nothing and it doesn't make you more worldly or smarter or better than anybody else just because you've gone lots of places it's about the experience while you're there like I went to Italy and I went to Greece and I did that through university so I was I was actually taking courses over there. So, you know, one of my trips was amazing and the other trip was still amazing, but also a little bit rough. I still learned a great deal on both of those trips. And the reason I learned a great deal about, you know, life and the world and all the rest of it is because I was studying those things at the time. I was actively engaged in learning those things. If I had just gone to another country to party, I mean, I can party anywhere. And the experience is the same. You go to a club, you go to a bar, whatever it is, you dance, you get smashed, you go home. Whether you're in a crazy cool spot or just the bar down the road, it does not matter. It's the same everywhere. What was I even saying? Anyway, um, for you, in the future when you're able to, 
you'll probably get more out of the experience. So my, my guess is, is that you want to travel, but you're not able to now. And I think honestly, you'll probably get more out of it than your friends when you have the chance, because you're going to have to work for it, right? Like they get to go because it sounds like someone's paying for them. And that doesn't necessarily land as, as hard or as well. So I would say make a list of places you want to go, make that kind of your first bucket list items. And then once you've graduated and you're working and you save up a bit of cash, that's when you get out there. And I think it's just going to blow your mind then. Honestly, I think that because it's going to be so special because of how much effort you put into it, I think when you get to take those trips, whether they're rare trips, whether they're frequent trips, doesn't matter. When you get that chance, it's just going to be amazing. And I think that you're going to have an incredible time. I would suggest though, that if you can to go in a group of some kind, so don't just like, if you're going to go to a foreign country or something like that, don't necessarily go on your own because it can be very isolating. The way I did it, sign up through your university and go on an intercession trip. You might have to pay some tuition, but guess what? You get credits out of it. And then you're in a group of people who are going and you're all going to the same place and you'll have people who are roughly your same age and you're all in, you know, similar interests and stuff like that. And so it's kind of a really great way of, of making friends and also being around similar people in a strange environment. Just make sure you focus on the trip <laughs> instead of other things. Focus on the trip and the experience worry about the interpersonal stuff a little less like make friends with people but don't go overboard because anytime you're in a a small group of people in a in a strange place when you're when it's very insular like that there's a lot of drama that can happen you don't want to get involved in moving on i think yeah like i mean life is going to be full of people who get things handed to them i can understand why you would be upset with them and not feel great about how you know, they get, they get more than you. Right. And unfortunately, this is one of those sucky things about life is that you're like, you're going to have to deal with people whose parents pay for their tuition and their car and their apartment and this and that and the other thing. And they're going to get further ahead in life faster than you just because of those things. It doesn't make them bad people. Like, don't get me wrong. I think it's, it's definitely hard to be happy for someone when they have things that you don't. We're very competitive in our mindsets. But the way around that is to remember that all of it is just stuff. You know, stuff is just stuff. And ultimately, it's largely meaningless. Money, unfortunately, in this world means that you get to do things and have things and have a sense of security that a lot of other people don't have. What was I going to say here? Uh, yeah, I, I think what you use your time for and what you make of yourself is more important than where you've been or what you've done recreationally. Like you you said you're in Albuquerque, so I don't know what the situation there is in terms of what you can do locally that is fun and exciting that you haven't done already. And from my perspective, like what I want to do is I want to go to White Sands National Park and I also want to see the Carlsbad Caverns. Those are kind of my bucket list items for New Mexico, right? And so hopefully I'll be able to get there, but I don't know if you've already done those places or seen those places. And if you have then it's just about finding something else you can do. And it doesn't have to be big or fancy or anything. You'd be amazed at how much fun you can get just by joining a local club and meeting some people who are kind of interested in the same things you are and just having that experience as opposed to the same old with your with your friends who you may be growing apart from. I don't know. The, the other thing that I that I think is great, actually, is that you're not afraid to ask for help when you can. 
you know, it took some guts to write in and potentially have your email read on the internet. So, you know, my hat's off to you for that because it's, it's not just that I like appreciate it, but the fact that you, you were able to say, you know what, I want some advice and I don't necessarily know who to ask. And so where do I go? The main thing that I've come to realize about life in general is just positive relationships, nurturing good relationships is hard and time consuming. And people aren't always going to be interested in doing that because again, it's hard and time consuming. So when we get to know somebody, we have to decide, are they giving me what I need? Am I doing anything good for them? And sometimes you are, and sometimes you aren't, and sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't. And if the positive influence isn't there, one of the good things about being an adult is that no one gets to tell you who to hang out with. (laughs) So if you're having a bad go, you can just be like, you know what? I I don't really want to deal with this anymore. And you don't have to. The other thing that I think you'd be surprised about, unfortunately, is just how quickly or how easily it is for relationships that you think when you're young are very strong to just kind of peter out because a lot changes quickly when you're at that age and when people go off to university and people potentially move away and all the rest of it, home is not necessarily where their mind is. And it may not, depending on where you go to school, whether you go locally or whether you go somewhere else, it may not be on your mind either. And that's okay. That's part of the growing process. So take it as it comes. And again, I would, I would say just, yeah, have a chat with, have a chat with each of the people that you're concerned the most about and see what they say. And then if they respond positively to that, see what they do. And if they do good things and they're not treating you poorly and maybe they change the way they talk or maybe they change the way they behave or maybe they are a little less baity with you, um, that can be a good thing because it's growth for you, it's growth for them. And if it's if that's not happening, then again, you have to make a decision on whether or not you want to be you want to be around that kind of thing. So Anyway, hopefully that helps. I don't know. I do think that you've got a good a good head on your shoulders already just because you're trying to save for school and you're you're working on making your life better. And I wish you all the luck in the world with that, honestly. So keep at it, do your best, and we'll see where things go. Okay, let's see here. What else is on my list of things to talk about? <laughs> I put a note. This is funny. I put a note down at the bottom. Winter poundage. Got to start cardio training again. Oh my God, I am... I I didn't put that much weight on over Christmas, just a couple of pounds, but I also haven't exercised in like four months. So I probably should do something health wise in the new year just to kind of shock my system back into semi working order. It's, uh, it's not the funnest experience when you're hurting all the time, but I think the more, the more I exercise, the less I hurt. Well, no, it's just, I hurt in a different way, I guess. I'm going to probably jump on the bike and put in some work and hopefully my heart rate will not go through the roof and I will feel a little better. It's so stereotypical though, isn't it? New Year's, start exercising. It's very, (laughs) I feel like it's what a lot of people do. I mean, you know, it probably makes sense. We eat a lot over Christmas time and the new year and then, you know, we have to, we have to deal with the consequences afterwards. All right, creativity talk. Boom, 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 boom. So as I was saying earlier in the podcast, after I put out my book in September, it's funny, I, I have to start a new project. And I know what I'm going to write about. And it's 
a very interesting departure. It's going to be more of a, a kind of alternate history type thing. But I'm just so burnt out <laughs> from finishing the last one that I'm procrastinating. And I don't know how I'm going to get out of that rut. I mean, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've probably been in the same situation where sometimes you just kind of go, I got some stuff I want to do and I don't want to do it. Even even if it's stuff that you you're really looking forward to and enjoying it. Just the effort and the amount of time is just kind of daunting at the start. You know, you do something you're really proud of and then you just can't, you can't move on. Yeah, that's me right now. So if you know of a good way to shock the system and get out of that rut, let me know. I'd appreciate the help. (laughs) All right. All righty. I've rambled on long enough. So how's about I do a chapter read and call her a day, huh? I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. And this is going to be chapter four of The Lancet, my novel, which is available on Amazon and basically everywhere else. And if you look in the description below, you can find the link that will take you there. So I'm at 49 books sold right now. If you could help me get to 50 or even 100, that that would be greatly appreciated. (laughs) Besides, I think you'll enjoy it. Anyway, chapter four is actually a little bit long, so I'm probably only going to read the first half of it. And then I'll finish up. I'll finish up with the other half later. All right, problems. I land on the ship's nameplate, Franklin. Daylight casts a small circle around me, and wherever it hits, I see surfaces damp with condensation. No stink of mold, so air circulation's been shut off for a long time. Or the environment's been too cold for growth. Dead. Crew too, though I can't smell them. Might have thought a little during re-entry. I can hear pops and pangs of thermal expansion, but that will ebb with the heat. Franklin's cereals are corrupted, so either someone stole this thing or it was part of some off-the-book squadron. Black Ops shit. I flipped some images back to base with an ID request a while ago. We'll have to wait and see what comes of that. But dead or not, I can't ignore that this ship made a controlled burn on re-entry, which means something is still ticking in here. If at least one of the cores survived the crash, I should be able to figure out what happened. Spaceworthy hardware tends to be designed to survive abuse. I make my way forward, shuffling awkwardly because the ship is lying on its side and there's no room to stand. I crab walk on the walls, doorways yawn open like black holes beneath my feet. My flashlight casts a pale beam over empty quarters, the communal head. Everything is compact, tight. The hull must be heavily armored to eat up that much room. But more disconcerting is how many pieces are missing. The further I go, the more consoles have been ripped open and gutted. Wires and tubing snake out of holes carved into the walls and up through the floor, and hitting a gravity well hasn't made it any neater. Some of the damage was caused by the crash, but there's an underlying method here, and that's what's creeping me out. Space zombies and toothy aliens might not exist, but part of me still wishes I brought a gun. I reach the bow and climb into the command center. My arms protest as I pull myself through the doorway, but at least my feet land on the far wall before I let go and drop. It's a tiny space, the most protected part of the ship, and a scene of awful violence. Thankfully, there are no bodies, no rusty streaks of blood, but someone wanted to murder this ship. Fire control and navigation are basically gone, cannibalized, and all of the displays are smashed. Someone put their fist through each one, and the chairs have been slashed open. If I'm looking for people, the infirmary and cabins are next, but if I want to know what happened here, I need to access the ship's memory core. I plug in my fab, but it arrows out corrupt data. Normal diagnostic tools aren't helping. Military systems aren't compatible, but my work on Evelyn helps, because some of the emulators I coded for her are. If all I can get are read-write logs and a power trace, that should still tell me something. And it does. 
Franklin's last proper timestamp is five decades old, but something is still pulling power from the reactor, just enough to cycle through life support systems, drawing a trickle of oxygen, water, and what I think are intravenous nutrients. Maybe if I can wake up a few more systems. My fab squawks as I trigger the ship's countermeasures and get locked out. That's not supposed to happen. The ship's core is dead, so there shouldn't be anything in my way. Not when all I'm doing is testing if anything still works. My heart is racing from the unknowns here, because unknowns usually mean money. Priam, report. Trust Gracie to check up on me. She'll be watching grainy video from my goggles. The camera can amplify light levels, but given the damage, I'm not sure she'll recognize what I'm looking at. I've reached the command center. Ship's dead. Computer's fried and the interior's pretty torn up. No occupants yet. It's the polite way of saying I haven't found any bodies. I'd like to continue my search. You have 30 minutes. I know better than to ask for more. That supercell is getting close. I climb back into the main corridor and head sternward, following all those makeshift cables. Only one is registering voltage, a tendril of energy. Hopefully I'll find something useful at the end of it. I peek up at the sky as I pass under the airlock. Still blue, but there's a shimmer to it. Snow's starting to blow in, just ahead of the clouds. It's another hard shuffle aft. I'm sweating, although the condensation is starting to freeze on the walls. Internal temperature's dropping. The cables take a hard turn, down into one of those dark holes. The infirmary. I expect damage when I shine my light inside. It's in worse shape than the command center. Whole walls have been ripped down, revealing the ship's composite skeleton and mechanical innards. It's a clumsy climb in. Exposed struts make stable footholds, but coiled wires not so much. I put my foot into a bundle that can't take my weight. My stomach lurches as it gives and I come down hard on my knee with a curse. This wouldn't be a problem if Franklin had landed right side up. Even upside down would be better. But those thoughts vanish the deeper I go. Because behind all the junk, behind the chaos of cables and pipes and chunks of upcycled tech, I find something truly mind-blowing. A life pod. Homebrew. And what's left of a woman is floating inside. Suspended in amniotic fluid. I wobble as I grab hold and put my face up to the glass. Jesus, I think she's alive. Takes me a moment to process that. Whoever this is, she used a stabilization chamber, a stopgap used to keep people alive on the way to hospital, into a 50-year lifeline. Warm systems like this are strictly short-term for a reason. Without suspended cell function, people age. Her body's wasted, albino, pale, and hairless. I can see veins and ribs through translucent skin. The tissues around her eyes are sunken and bruised. I'm about to question my assumption when an odd spasm confirms it. She's definitely alive. I can't believe it. Can't explain it. Don't know if anyone could. She just crashed. Even if that fluid acted as a cushion, her bones should be broken. Gracie, I have something. I wait for a response. Don't get it. Gracie? I switch channels and crank the volume. All I get is static. Comms are offline. Storm interference might add a little signal noise, but that's nothing our radios can't handle. So that's concerning. Evelyn's probably malfunctioning. My emulators will throw out the occasional exception, so her systems crash from time to time. Which means I'm not only out here in a wreck hundreds of kilometers from the nearest settlement by myself, but I've also got an unreliable ride waiting for me outside. Wonderful. Doesn't matter. I have a survivor. She's the priority now. No question. Only I have no idea how to get her out of there. I'm looking at a collection of circulation and filtration systems. The necessities of life come in, wastes go out, and the power keeps everything at a stable temperature. 
but worm systems are designed for fast and easy access. They're supposed to be idiot-proof. Normally there'd be a handle, a self-evident way to open it up. This one's conspicuous for its absence. I can see where it's been purposefully sawed off. I doubt there's a manual anywhere, but maybe a backup computer? Something has to be coordinating these systems. I find it inside a freezer that's been welded to the wall overhead. Core probably needed active cooling until ambient temperature dropped far enough. My fab connects, but that's a problem. I'm scanning for an open port when it bypasses my own securities and brings up a vitals display. Homebrew software is one thing, but making it capable of hijacking my device, any device, is something else. Must have triggered when I tried to connect. She anticipated being found, anticipated how search and rescue would try to get her out. This is far, far beyond my capacity. Incredible and terrifying. I'm halfway between awe and envy at the same time. Okay. I look back at her. Don't suppose you could tell me how to turn this thing off. Did she just blink? Hey, hey. I tap the glass, watching her face for a repeat. If you can hear me, try to open your eyes or wiggle your fingers or toes. Nothing. Come on, you can do it. Just a little wiggle. Must have been my imagination. Prioritize. That's what Gracie would be telling me. All right, that is the first half of chapter four. I will get the rest of it in the next episode. Thank you for listening. As always, I appreciate everybody who is subscribing and just basically downloading the podcast and enjoying it. I will see you next time. Have a great week, everybody. And I'm out of here. Bye-bye.